Okay, here we are. Sam, how's it going? Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing well, man. How you doing? Uh, not too bad. You know, I uh, got back from Arizona, um, and the trip was outstanding. When I left Phoenix, because uh, we, we stayed in Flagstaff, and we did a bunch of activities in and around Flagstaff. Um, but when we left Phoenix, the day that we were scheduled to come home, uh, it was 118 outside in Phoenix. Oh. Um, I think I think parts of my shoe are still in Phoenix because um, they were melted off by just the ungodly heat that was cursing Phoenix. <laughs> Would you ever live in Phoenix? In Phoenix? No, no. I, I felt like I was living it like just in like a sweaty armpit or something. Like it just not – it wasn't – it wasn't even fun to be alive outside when it was 118, which is just funny. Arizona is a funny state from that standpoint because, you know, driving from Phoenix to Flagstaff, the temperature drops like 30 degrees. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, there's like trees. It goes from cactus. And then immediately it's just all at once. It's like, boom, where'd all these trees come from? And the landscape completely shifts. Um, it's a very interesting state to drive around in just all the different biomes that you end up finding yourself in over the course of two hours. Yeah, and they, you saw the Grand Canyon? Yep, first time seeing the Grand Canyon. That was a lot of fun. It honestly looks like a green screen when you're out there. It's so big that it, you just have a hard time taking it all in. That was a lot of fun. We saw Meteor Crater which was really cool. They actually had a meteorite or like a shard from the meteorite that, that hit um, in that area. And I asked the guy how old the meteorite was and it was 4.6 billion years old. And for anybody who's interested in space, that's actually older than earth. (laughs) So to be able to touch that meteorite and just go, wow, this is, you know, incomprehensively old. (laughs) um was was an experience we went uh we went into a cave like a cave almost like spelunking a little bit um it's this mile long cave that you can uh crawl through there's no light or anything obviously because it's a cave um but it's it's wide enough that and tall enough at some points that you can stand completely straight up like there were points when it was probably like 15 20 feet tall um but it is completely pitch black (laughs) Um, like literally as black as like the, whatever, however dark you can imagine it's, it's that dark. Um, it ain't, there ain't no way you, you couldn't do it. No, I don't think so. We went about, I don't know, uh, a quarter of a mile in and then the cave split into two and we had to turn back only because we had people in our group who, who wanted to turn around at that point, but a handful of us wanted to keep going to the end and then come back. It was a very interesting experience. I've never been eaten by a whale before, but I imagine it would look something like that. <laughs> That's almost like uh, your equivalent of the darkness retreat. I know. Did you, right? find, did you find a spiritual realization in there? No, but I did bang my head against some rocks. So that was, um, it wasn't a spiritual awakening, but it woke me up um, in, in that moment. <laughs> um well, and truthfully, it, it wasn't like, yes, it's pitch black, but we had our phones. So, it, I mean, it was only pitch black once we decided to turn off our phones for a few seconds to just experience it. Um, but for the most part, I mean, we had light down there. 
Um, so I didn't go full Rogers. Never go full Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> Never go full Rogers. Um, well, well, my weekend was pretty. I guess from the last, the reason we weren't able to record last week was because you were gone, and then obviously yeah. I was gone. I was in Chicago, and that is a big old city. Wow. Well, I didn't even know you were in Chicago. Why were you in Chicago? For uh, volleyball nationals. So oh, gotcha. We had our, our national tournament and um, doing the whole big city thing, getting on a train and traveling to different places. Um, there was – we had – so they had the NAS, the first ever NASCAR street race. It's like the NASCAR version of an F1 race. They're driving on the streets. They actually make right turns. Oh, on this track, yeah, isn't that interesting? Okay. Really, uh, really stretching the ability of these drivers. Um, yeah. So that was happening the same weekend. So you had thousands of people there for volleyball, and then you had probably whew, hundreds of thousands of people there for NASCAR. So you have the, the seeing the different groups interacting because I think it's pretty. There's pretty stark differences between the NASCAR demographic. And like the the yeah. club volleyball scene. Um, yes, I would imagine so. so. <laughs> a lot less clothing on the NASCAR demographic. <laughs> yeah. Um. So seeing that and seeing the city just fill up with every all those people traveling in. Um. And then we had a pretty much monsoon take place on Saturday and Sunday in well, Chicago. It it was pouring non-stop they actually had to cancel the race so i was i was there well that. you and i couldn't have had different experiences from a weather standpoint well it, I, I, I can't live in the, the midwest like that i can't live anywhere where it's humid i think my body is so acclimated to i can do i can do 100 degrees no problem as long as it's not humid I was just sweating and it was 70, 80 degrees, but it's, it's like a giant layer, a thick layer is on my skin the whole time. Yeah. No, I, my, um, my job school when I was like initially joining the military was in North Carolina and the humidity was, yeah, no, no, thanks. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. I just, I'd prefer not. <laughs> no, thank I'd you. <laughs> prefer not. I've, I've experienced it now, and I can say no. Yeah, polite pass, polite pass. I'll, I'll go somewhere else. Thank you. Although uh, I will, I will say, say I'll go now ahead. I, w- I will say with Chicago, right? You think, oh, the Midwest, like they're so polite there. Yeah. The service everywhere we went was awful. <laughs> <laughs> was genuinely the worst. It was. I have never felt like such an inconvenience as someone that was working in a place, every single place that I went to. (laughs) (laughs) It was absolutely bizarre. So if anybody's um, wanting to go vacationing in Chicago, that's a (laughs) raving review. At least right in, because we were staying right in downtown. We were Mm -hmm. two blocks away from where uh, the, where the, the race was taking place. I actually walked to soldier field and took some pictures there. Um, but yeah, I, I I might go again, but I wouldn't stay long. I think there's a restaurant in L.A. I don't know if it's L.A., but the whole shtick of that restaurant is 
the the waitresses are or the waiters are um like just absolute jerks to you mm-hmm. like that like that is, i don't know what it, i can't remember what it's called but like that there's is, a that literally a is a theme in, um, at a restaurant there's a place in sacramento like that too yeah there i mean there might be i i've never i i don't i don't know what it's called or where it is but um i remember reading about it so that was a long time ago um all right well good weekend and week recap um let's do that same thing but for the nba um we have a lot to talk about a lot of moves were made uh, while sam and i were gone and now that we're going to be back on our on our weekly schedule we won't be so far behind but Sam had the wonderful idea of doing a top five list, which we haven't done in a long time, of what we think are the five most impactful moves of the NBA offseason. Now, I do have a little caveat with my list because the things that – the I didn't include certain moves on my list for, for a few reasons. Like, for example, re-signings of players. Okay. Like, I don't think like I do think that the Lakers signing like re-signing Rui Hachimura. I think that's huge for them. I think he absolutely had had to be re-signed. I actually think the Kings re-signing Harrison Barnes was a huge thing for them. I didn't include any of those. I included the ones that are on my list are people who actually moved teams. Well, so then that your is- list is wrong. Okay, well that's a that's a caveat to my list. I, I didn't we I didn't specify that when we were talking, but I wanted to give mine at least a little bit of, um, like there was so, instead of it just being a free for all, I wanted to give myself a little bit of structure. So I am not including uh, anybody who stayed with their team, even though there were plenty of those that I thought were very impactful, like the two that I just um, just talked about. And I was honestly foreseeing this as like a draft so say one of us were to take the bradley beal trade then drafting that as number one then the other person can't would then draft two Mm -hmm. yeah okay we're on the same page yeah um all right well do you want to start or do you want me to start um i could start i have have like a little mock draft I, i got my my war room working my scouts are working hard um, we are going to take, for a couple reasons, one, this move impacts immediately this franchise's immediate future, and two, for the foreseeable future, for the next decade, this move is huge. It's the Spurs drafting Victor Wombanyama. Right, and I, I, are we, are, and I didn't even specify, and this is poor hosting on my part. But are we starting at the bottom of the list or at the top? That's that's number one. Number one number, draft pick. Number okay. one pick. Number, number one, one draft pick, pick in real life. Number one pick in the nothing to say draft. Uh, I think that's fair. I mean, especially if history, if history tells us anything, it San Antonio has a very good track record of drafting freak big men. And getting a couple championships out of it. Um, and a couple MVPs. Yeah, a couple MVPs, yeah. So, I mean, time will tell with Victor Wembanyama, only from the standpoint of, I think, the largest... You don't, have a, you don't have any questions about his skill or his talent or anything like that. I think the biggest concern for him is going to be the fact that he's so tall um, and he also is simultaneously so small. Um, so... I think the only the biggest concern for him is going to be 
if he can stay healthy and if he can bulk up a little bit, because I do think he's going to need to get at least a little bit bigger. Um, but then at the same time, you know, you can make the argument, well, if you make him too big, then is he going to lose some of what makes him him? I don't know what the answer to that is. I would trust the San Antonio Spurs and their track record to make the right decisions for that. So yeah, I don't really have a problem with, with that, um, with that move. Cause I mean, you're right. It's if, if everything goes according to plan out of all of the trades and moves that we talk about today, uh, that'll be the one that probably lasts the longest. Yeah. And he might be the best player that moved this off season that joined a new team. <laughs> uh, maybe, 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 maybe. I mean, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out here in a couple months. Um, all right. So, well, I, that was my sort of spiel about Victor Wembanyama. Give me a little bit of uh, your thought process about making the number one overall pick. <laughs> um, I mean, like I said, it's. I think this that move immediately makes the Spurs better. Um, everyone that I've heard talk about his floor is like nineteen and ten with averaging a couple blocks a game. Like, he, even if his offensive impact isn't there. His defensive prowess as a rim, as a ring, ring, oh my god, rim protector, <laughs> is certainly present from day one. Um, and I think the energy that that just the vibe that he changes around that Spurs organization. The last three years, four years, really haven't heard a lot about San Antonio and what they're doing. They've just been in this nonstop rebuild, and. Ever since, really, they traded away DeMar DeRozan, um, they've been stuck in this rebuild looking for the next superstar, and he is that guy. So even on a smaller scale for them, this changes really the way that fan base and that organization looks at themselves in the immediate future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, like, like we were – like you were saying, like I was saying, if, if it goes well, if it goes according to their plan – then it's definitely going to be the longest of any of these moves um, in terms of how many years they're going to get out of Webb and Yama. So, all right. I like it. Um, all right. So second overall pick for, for our little draft for the most impactful moves of the off season. Uh, it's cliche. It's very cliche. And I, and I, I struggled with putting this one so high only because it is so like, well, duh. But again, I think if you're talking about the caliber of player that moved and the team that he went to, again, and here's the caveat, it's the same thing with Wembenyama. If it goes according to plan, then this team should be fighting for the NBA title at the end of the season. And it really was the Bradley Beal move going to Phoenix. And again, it it's very run-of-the-mill cliche. I mean, he was the biggest player. He went to one of the best teams. So I get it. And the Suns sacrificed a lot of depth to <laughs> to get him. Our episode mm-hmm. title two weeks ago was titled F Dem Picks because the Suns don't have a pick or I think a first-round pick um, until 2031. They, they moved heaven and earth to get Bradley Beal. But if everything goes the way that it should and the way that they're uh, envisioning, then this team is going to be outstanding, at least from an offensive standpoint. And I, I would, I'm going to be very, very curious to see the role 
that Devin Booker gets placed into because he is going to turn into their point guard, I would think. So that's going to be a slightly different role for him. But the reason why it's so fascinating is because with Chris Paul being injured this past postseason, he sort of stepped into that role anyway, and he had some of the best games of his entire postseason career this uh, this past postseason playing point guard. So he's going to have to adjust his game a little bit. Having Bradley Beal as your number three scorer is the best option I think you can have in the NBA. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. The only concern for them is going to be depth and defense, which, again, are two gigantic concerns. But I think that they're going to be able to at least come together on the defensive end enough to hold you off while they just berate you with all of their offensive prowess. And then you just got to hope, if you're a fan of that team, that they fill enough holes on their bench to, to be feasible. Yeah, I think that's really the key. We talked about this trade um, a couple weeks ago. Um, looking at the deal itself, I think we talked about it's honestly a a bargain for Bradley Beal. What they had to give up, they if you compare it to the Rudy the Rudy Gobert trade or the uh, the Murray trade a couple years ago, um, like that just on itself is a bargain for a player of Bradley Beal's caliber. He's an all NBA player. Uh, But now looking at what they were able to do around those three monster or four monster contracts, they were able to get Eric Gordon on the cheap, able to get Chemezi Metu, able to get re-signed Josh Okoji, uh, able to get Watanabe. These are players that can fill in those roles and fill out that eight man rotation around that big four, that big core four of the Phoenix Suns. And it just gives you more options. If for some reason Durant is out for an extended period of time, the core of Booker and Beal can hold on long enough and really even carry this team to still having a top four seed in the West. Yeah. And I think also I talked about the evolution of Devin Booker. DeAndre Ayton is going to be – a key piece to this team, obviously, but he was already unhappy last year. So we heard about sort of the role that he was in and maybe his usage. Well, the guy who ran pick and roll with him all the time is now gone. So, I mean, you'd think Devin Booker would be the one running it with him now. I mean, any, any of the three guys could run pick and roll with DeAndre Ayton, but I mean, there's, those three guys are going to get theirs. So DeAndre Ayton's going to get what's left over, and it'll be interesting to see how that saga unfolds as well going forward. So, All right, so we have Victor Wembanyama at one. We have Bradley Beal at two. Who's three? Um, so I don't know how you're going to feel about this one. I'll, I'll change my list a little bit. And you no, 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 no. Stick to your guns. Stick to no, your no. guns. So I think the additions of Niang and Struess for the Cavs. Oh, that three three seems a little high for that. That's high. <laughs> um, that is very high. All right, I'll be basic. The Porzingis addition for the Celtics. Uh, we talked about it two weeks ago when we talked about the Beal thing. Um, so I won't talk about it a lot. But I think him him as a name, him as star power gives them a different dimension to that Boston offense, uh, helps them out a little bit on rim protection. 
hopefully just gives them a little bit more versatility as they just try to contend for a title. I think that's the biggest thing. <clears throat> so it's funny because so I had um, I whoa computer holy smokes um, I had Porzingis on my list as well, but I actually in terms of like where I ranked the importance of each move, I did not have him nearly that high. I know I talked a lot about that um, last week, like you had mentioned, but I actually had a few moves higher than that one. So I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about those. Um, Yeah. I think Porzingis is a great add to the Celtics, um, especially with the, you know, Al Horford's getting older, so he's a big part of their team. So you can kind of slot Porzingis in there. He can learn from Al Horford, who's a great mentor to learn from. Uh, they already have Williams there, so uh, well, not Grant Williams anymore, <laughs> um, but Robert Williams. Um, so they have a really good rotation of big men between those three. And Porzingis is, I would say, a little bit more – he's actually kind of a hybrid between the two, a little bit. Because Al Horford, I sort of picture – I mean, Al Horford's a great defender, but he definitely has more of an offensive game than Robert Williams. And Robert Williams is a great defender, and I think Porzingis can do both fairly well. Um so he's kind of a hybrid in that sense of two of both of them, even though I'm, you know, I don't want to undersell Al Horford as a defender, but you kind of get the point that I'm making there. So yeah. he, he's going to add, um, well, I mean, he's, he's a unicorn, right? That was his nickname coming out, right? Like it, 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 he was averaging, we looked at his stats, like 20 points a game last season that might drop a little bit now that he's paired up with uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. But um, he's probably going to be getting a lot of wide open, easy looks because of the shots that those go, those guys are going to be creating for themselves and for others. So, yeah, when you add a player like Porzingis, I don't, I don't think you can go down in terms of uh, how good your team is. Um, all right, so so we got Porzingis at three. So I'll stick with my list, and I'm not going to deviate from that. I'm going to say at number four. That the Marcus Smart move going to Memphis was Mm -hmm. very, very important. And it's not necessarily because Marcus Smart is the greatest player of all time. He's an outstanding player, and any team would benefit from having him as uh, their point guard. But I think one of the things that has been talked about more so with this deal was the fact that he can be – he can serve as a really good mentor – for John Morant, which I think if you're Memphis is what you really want from this deal. Yes. Marcus smart is going to add a pretty decent offensive game. Um, He's a great leader and he's an outstanding defender. So you're getting all three of those things, but away from the court, what you're going to have is somebody who can sort of guide John Morant. You'd hope um, away from maybe the path that he's sort of, Heading down, I don't, I don't want to speak too much about that because, you know, again, we're, we were just talking about maybe a situation that we don't fully understand. But I think if you're Memphis, what you're hoping for is that Marcus Smart can kind of be John Morant's big brother um, and keep him focused throughout the season and keep, keep him maybe away from getting suspended again. 
Yeah, I, I think I can just uh, echo everything you said. Um, that's the ideal thing, right? The If we're talking a little pessimistically, Marcus Smart's a pretty strong personality, and if he rubs that team the wrong way too much, he might be shipped out of town a little early. Right? Uh, he's the new, maybe. He's the new guy. But Dylan Brooks is now gone, so um, – <laughs> I, I I could see him maybe clashing with Dylan Brooks, but um, I don't know. I I mean Memphis Memphis to me, like I mean every team needs a Marcus Smart, right? Like and, and as much as we talk like we bash on Draymond Green from from the standpoint of just you know he's a Warrior Word Kings fan, but like every team needs a Draymond Green, right? Every team needs somebody who's gonna push the other guys that way, and Marcus Smart can definitely do that. I think as an alternative for Memphis, really. Yes, you are interested in getting Marcus Smart the player, but you're really also interested at the same time in getting Marcus Smart the mentor for John Morant. So I, th- I think it, we can compare it like this. Remember when uh, Jimmy went from – did he go from Philly to Minnesota or Minnesota to Philly? Who? No, I think it went to Jimmy Butler. So I think he went oh. from Chicago to Minnesota, right? And he just – that – whole situation within a year blew up because his strong personality, his frankly winning personality just rubbed that Minnesota franchise completely and the players that were already there rubbed them the wrong way and butted heads with Wiggins when he was there and Carl Anthony Towns when he was there because they were young and they they didn't know really how to win. They had zero playoff success at that point. Uh, Could that sort of on the same level happened with this Memphis team. Maybe, but I think with the Jimmy Butler thing, what you were talking about is a pl- is like the focal point of that team because that's really what Jimmy Butler was brought there to do. Marcus Smart is not going to be that. John Morant is going to be that. So I don't know. I feel like I feel like the situations are very similar, but the caliber of player that you're talking about is a little bit different. So maybe, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Um, no, I agree. On, I agree on that point. I, I don't think Marcus Smart has ever been Jimmy Butler. Yeah. But you are talking about a locker room leader. Yes. Right? So, and he, and I think Marcus Smart believes that he is maybe the second best player on that team. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because we've seen that confidence shown, and he deserves to have that. He's a defensive player of the year. Yeah, and he he's got a better offensive game than people give him credit for. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think from that standpoint, uh, I I put Marcus Smart as uh, as four on our on our big draft board. Yeah, I I think I think it'll go well, but there's is that there's that possibility that it's it really of course just might not of course. Um, oh, you're gonna hate me for this. Okay. So the collection of Rui, Reeves, and Gabe Vincent for the Lakers, I think slots in drafting it at number five. I think this was just the perfect offseason moves for the Lakers um, and at the price points that they really needed to. Uh, yeah. When Reeves was going through that hot stretch in the playoffs, really had an amazing playoff run as the third option for the Lakers and sometimes even the second option. Sometimes team. even the first. Yeah, <laughs> depending on he the was. I think the numbers are thrown out that he might get twenty million a year, but to get him for four years and 
fifty, right? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just huge for that Lakers team. Uh, Rui, they kind of overpaid for, but seventeen a year isn't going to kill you. And then Gabe Vincent for eleven a year. Uh, I, we saw again. If we're just going off of recency bias, Gabe Vincent and Austin Reeves for role players had the best postseason. Yeah. Without counting anyone on Denver like Aaron Gordon or Bruce Brown. Or Malik Monk, you know. Right. Or Malik (laughs) Monk. Um, (laughs) But if we're just going off of – like these are – from right now, today, these look like genius moves for the Lakers. And they fill out that rotation around LeBron and AD – and who knows, Reeves can still develop further into a bona fide 18 a game score for this team and really take a lot of pressure off of LeBron. So I think those are just, it was just the moves that the Lakers had to make and they did it. So you got to give them credit for it. I agree. And I, like I said, I didn't keep on my list that I made, I didn't do any of the, the, the re-signings, um, but the Gabe Vincent thing I thought was really good, and the Lakers re-signing Reeves and Ruri I thought was – I mean, they were the two guys that everybody was saying as soon as they were limited, they got to keep. Like, regardless of what happens, those two guys need to be on the team next mm-hmm. year. And you said that they overpaid a little bit for Rui. Yes, but, at, but like you said, they can afford to do that because they potentially underpaid for Reeves. Yeah, um, and I think that's shocking, right, because – you, you just alluded to it, right? Everyone knew that the Lakers needed to re-sign Austin Reeves. Yeah. So it wasn't a surprise. How, how did everyone else in the league not drive up that market for Austin Reeves to force the Lakers to overpay for him? Because right. Austin Reeves is more valuable to the Lakers than any other team. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So those three guys are – going to be absolutely huge for the Lakers going forward to those two guys last year, Rui and Reeves were, I mean, they were indispensable for the Lakers rotation. And now you're adding Gabe Vincent who also was indispensable for Miami. So I could even see Gabe Vincent at one point, even slotting his way into a starting point guard role for them. Honestly, yeah, I'd I'd pick him over D'Angelo Russell right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, that 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 move may turn into they just brought in their starting point guard. I think if D'Angelo goes continues to sort of slump like he did um, last year to end the postseason, I very easily could see Gabe Vincent becoming their starting point guard. Yeah, and Schroeder's gone now, so there's a clear there's a clear pathway for him. There's a clear role for him to yeah. fill. Uh, sorry if you heard some background noise for a second. My girlfriend and my sister. Um, we had been talking about going golfing together now that all three of us are up here and they're actually going to go without me. So for the first time, so they, uh, so instead of, instead of uh, the three of us going together for the first time, uh, they're just going to leave without me and go do it um, right now. So just going to throw them under the bus real quick. I needed to get that in there. (laughs) That's like a boyfriend's dream. Your girlfriend's going golfing without you. Well, I know, but I would love to be going with her. That's the thing, at least for the first time, you know, like, I mean, we've been golfing together before. She has her own clubs now. Um, But now that Natalie's up here, we were all three going to go together. And, you know, I thought we were going to all go for the first time together, but I guess not. You got got cut out. 
I did. Well, they asked me if I was busy, and I was like, yeah, I'm filming the show, and I got to eat lunch, and then I got to go back to work. So, very much so. And then they were like, okay, well, see ya. So, whatever. I'll, uh, I'll squash that later on tonight. No, I'm kidding. Um, oh, gosh. All right. Sixth, sixth pick. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, moving on to the sixth pick, um, I would say that the Grant Williams – to Dallas was a actually I don't know it didn't seem like it got a lot of national attention at least from like oh this is really like this is huge for the Mavericks but I do think that when you have a starting lineup that consists of Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic adding a defensive minded player like Grant Williams it's huge you need somebody I don't know if he's going to start who knows? But if you can have somebody to call upon in those moments when you need to stop or you need somebody to just go be a pest on defense, having one of those guys is huge. Grant Williams is a good three-point shooter. Um, he's a great defensive player. I think Dallas adding that, whether or not they're, he's going to be in a starting role or be coming off the bench and just playing big minutes, I don't know. But Grant Williams is an absolutely – like he's just a very, very, very solid player, uh, which I think Dallas desperately needed. Man, is that the point we're getting to? Graham Williams is at the sixth pick. Yeah, yeah. Arguably. You know, go ahead. You know, you know why he didn't get that didn't get a lot of attention. First hmm. off, it came pretty late. It came after all the other mass amounts of deals. Um, but secondly, probably de- deservedly so. I don't think that move moves the needle whatsoever for Dallas. Are they now more likely to make the postseason? Um, well, you know what? Uh, yeah, because they drafted him at six. <laughs> or we drafted him <laughs> at six. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I feel like – I just don't think that's a, that's a glamorous pick. I think there's better moves out there that really change. I don't know what Dallas does. The fact that they re-signed Kyrie, I guess they had to because they traded so much for him. But, man, that franchise is just in a tough spot. They definitely are. They definitely given that, are. Given that they have one of the top five best players in the NBA, mm-hmm. in Luka Doncic, they're in a tough spot. Um, <laughs> okay, so this one, this one I think you're going you're gonna to question a little bit. But I think this move – Unlike the Grant Williams move, I think this move completely impacts this franchise for next year. So Jordan Poole coming to the Washington Wizards. And what this move signifies for me is the Wizards are finally doing a complete overhaul and rebuild. Bringing in Jordan Poole means that they have moved on from Bradley Beal. They've moved on. From Porzingis, they did re-sign Kuzma, but Kuzma is younger, well, a little younger, and he may fit in with the new core that they are able to draft in the upcoming years. Uh, And just on Poole, I think Poole will fill that Bradley Beal role at a way cheaper value. I mean, he's going to put up 20-plus points next year for Washington – and he's not going to play defense, just like Bradley Beal. So I think this, there's plenty of shots for him to get in Washington. I think he's going to put up numbers. Uh, this team is not going anywhere. They're going to be in contention for a top 
for the top pick in the NBA draft. But I think this is the move that Washington needed to make. And for the first time, really since they drafted uh, Wall and Beal, this team, everyone knows the direction that this team is headed. And I think that's really a good sign for this franchise. So that's what the pool move signifies for me. Well, I mean, who'd you rather? Well, yeah, no, I get, I get what you're, I get what you're saying. I, the pool thing. And again, if we're talking about moving the needle, I guess, I guess from your standpoint, the way that you're going about this is that it moves the needle in the direction of rebuild, which is the way yep. that they should have been going initially. So from that standpoint, yes, I agree with you. Um, they definitely needed to do an overhaul. Although, but I guarantee you Kyle Kuzma and Jordan Poole aren't going to look at it that way. Um, oh, they're putting up shots. They're going to put up some numbers. One of them will be will. an all-star in the East. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> all right. So I'm, I'm, I'm going through all of the trades that have been made, and I'm sort of, you know, looking around, seeing – Everything I, I noticed that Rashawn Holmes went to Dallas, and I feel like that should get a no. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, I saw that. Um, looking through Rudy Gay, ex King Kings legend, he's yeah. he's off to Atlanta. Saw that, um, so that was great. Um, John Collins going to Utah, I think that's huge for Utah. Yep. John Collins is a really solid player. Uh, he was averaging uh, 13.6 rebounds, one assist, and on uh, 50% shooting last year as well. Uh, so I think that's going to be huge for Utah. Um, but there haven't really – from this point on, I mean, what we're talking about is sort of the, the role fillers at this point. We're not necessarily talking about big, like, franchise-changing players. Mm-hmm. Although, although the one player who we have talked about who used to be a franchise player that got traded – is a move that I'm just going to throw in here from the standpoint of I'm really interested in how this is all going to play out. And it's piggybacking off the Jordan Poole thing because Chris Paul went to Golden State. So I'm going to throw Chris Paul in at number eight. And Oh, that's a miss. That's a miss pick. And here's the thing. Here's why I'm throwing it in here. I'm throwing it in here because I want to talk about it more than anything else. <laughs> more, more than anything else. I, I'm still scratching my head over this a little bit. So you're so you're drafting him just to trade him later. Draft, I'm drafting him just... for compensation later. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Are you guys going to the range or actually golfing? We're actually golfing. Oh my gosh! Okay, have fun. I'm really nervous. Okay, all right. Have fun. Wow, this, Forty. This episode's featuring your sister. No, that was Bree. Was that Bree? That was Bree. Well, it's featuring Brie. It's featuring Brie. Um, yeah, I'm more just talking. I'm throwing this in here because I want to chat about it because we haven't really taken a, a ton of time to talk about it. I'm st- Again, I'm still scratching my head a little bit f- from this. Because I, I guess in my head, initially when I heard about this trade, my thought process was, oh, so he's okay with coming off the bench. And then I had mentioned it to you, and you didn't seem like you were all in for that. It seemed like you you think that they're maybe going to run a, a Chris Paul, Steph, and Clay lineup. Man, I voiced my opinion when we talked about this trade. 
I just don't think it'll work. I don't think that they're going to have a $30 million guard coming off the bench. <clears throat> so if we're so then we're talking about the makeup of this team, right? So if it's, he's it's not coming F, off the it's bench, F. it doesn't work. But okay, so here, yeah, so so what are, so what are we saying? We're saying Chris Paul, he'd have to play the one. He he would have to play point guard. Steph well, is not, playing. He, he's not running around screens. Well, yeah, so so he'd have to play one. Steph is going to have to play off the ball, which he can do. He's done. Yep, yep. Clay's at the three. Wiggins is four and Draymond's five? Yeah. <laughs> so how does, tough, how does, a how tough does, defensive team. I was going to say, how, uh, does Looney, how does Looney fit into this? Because now you're taking Looney out. If you're slotting, if you're moving, what you're doing, if you're putting Clay, if you're putting Paul in, is you're sliding everybody down a position, which means that Looney gets bumped. So either Looney stays in the lineup and Wiggins or Draymond come out, or Chris Paul comes off the bench. I think that Chris Paul will not be in a Warriors uniform by uh, March. By March. When's the, when's the trade deadline? It's around there, right? They, okay, yeah. I hmm. I think they this is the same thing they did when they signed and traded Kevin Durant. They got D'Angelo Russell for him. We all sat there like, well, I guess this could work. Russell and and Curry. Russell was just coming off an All Star appearance. Uh, really, his career year, and they just traded a piece that they no longer could use. Well, they could use Kevin Durant, but he didn't want to be there anymore. And they got value for him just to flip that value for something else. And they flipped that into Andrew Wiggins. I think it's the same thing for Chris Paul. There's going to be a desperate team out there. Maybe the Lakers, maybe the Clippers, something like that, that needs the services of Chris Paul. And the Warriors are just going to wait until that day comes. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I just wanted to, I wanted to throw that in there because I wanted to talk about it. Cause again, it's just, it's very, it's, it's a head scratcher. It is, it is a head scratcher and maybe they're doing what you're saying. Maybe not. I think if he is, if he is going to be there, then I think you have to put him on the bench. Cause it just, it just F's with the, it F's with the, the lineup, which yeah. feels so weird because like you said, he's an, ex, he's an extremely expensive player to be having coming off your bench, but I don't know what else you do. And he's good enough. He, Chris Paul does not need to come off the bench. What is it? Two years ago, he was in like MVP conversations. People were wondering the year that they went to the finals with the Suns. Yeah. People were wondering if, if Chris Paul was more valuable to that Suns team than Devin Booker. Yeah. That was like two seasons ago. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I also forgot, and I'm backtracking a little bit to mention with that, I, I'm going all the way back to the Marcus Smart thing, but it, it literally, it's before I lose the train of thought. Um, one of the other un, like maybe unglamorous things that Memphis did, we were talking about maybe Smart serving as a role model. They also signed Derrick Rose, um, mm-hmm. to that team as well. And I think the combination of those two, hopefully, I think if you're from Memphis, are gonna um, kind of 
check Ja Morant a little bit. I forgot to mention that it came up on screen. I wanted to go back to that real quick because I do think that that also is going to play into what we were talking about earlier. But Yeah, totally agree. Big respect to, uh, to Derek Rose and whatever and all the things that he does. I don't think he's going to log a lot of minutes for that Memphis No. Um, but I think, yeah, his, his role will be felt off the court. All right. What's number nine? Do I go flashy or do I go a little bit more practical? I think you can go Homer pick and go DeMontes Savonis returning on a multi-year extension. <laughs> I do have an extension in here, but it is not Sabonis. Um, mm. Though that is a good move. And I do is have it... the, the John Collins move for Rudy Gay in a second in here. Um, I'm not going to pick that now. Um, I had Lopez and Middleton re-signing for a lot of money, but I think I mean they were just so big for that Bucks team, and it keeps that championship window open a little bit longer. Um, I mentioned the Struess and Niang pickups. Just touching on that a little bit. What did the Cavs need? The one thing the Cavaliers needed from last season. Mm, tell me. Anyone that can make a shot. <laughs> the defense is there. I mean, it is for sure there, and they were banking on Garland and Mitchell just pretty much scoring 80 points combined. They were pretty much trying to do what the Suns were doing, but the Suns had Kevin Durant and Devin Booker, and Cleveland Cavaliers had uh, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. Mm-hmm. So they get shooting. They re-sign Karis LeVert. Um, I think those are just big pickups for that Cleveland team. I think Cleveland's sneaky. They're going to be a top three seed in the East next year. Well, well they were four, right? Um, yeah. I think they – whatever is happening with Philadelphia, I think they're going to be better than them. I agree. With the addition of Niang and Struess and re-signing LeVert, I, I do think that, yeah, they're going to be – <laughs> they're going to be a tough out. <laughs> and think about it, right? If Miami doesn't get Damian Lillard, and even if they do, they are going to be still giving up all of that depth that got them to the NBA Finals. They're not going to have Gabe Vincent. They're not going to have Max Struess today going into the season. And they were mm-hmm. those two guys were such big parts of that team of that run for Miami. And if you go in and they have to trade away hero Robinson, Caleb Martin, name a player on that team, uh, Jovich, right. And all those picks for Damian Lillard. Yeah. It's going to be flashy. And what I want to see it. Heck yeah. I want to see Damian Lillard and Jimmy Butler together with Bam Adebayo. Uh, they also lost Victor Oladipo. And I know he didn't have a run in the playoffs because he was injured, but he was a big part of that team um, the previous year. Like that, that team's depth has just evaporated. Right. <laughs> in a matter of one month. Um, the pick I'm going to make, we go from Chris Paul to another all NBA point guard. And that's Russell Westbrook on a two year deal for 8 million. Okay. What this deal does for the Clippers, what was the biggest thing that was wrong with Russell Westbrook? Really, at the end of the day, what was the biggest thing? Not really his production. The dude was still producing in L.A., 
But it was the amount of money that they uh, everyone was paying him because OKC gave him that ginormous contract mm-hmm. after KD left. Now, that's not a problem. He's actually a bargain at this point because the guy can still go get you 15, 7, and 8. Well, wasn't he averaging like 20 in the playoffs or something like that? For the Clippers, exactly. So yeah. whenever Kawhi, because they're going to miss time, Kawhi and Paul George are not going to play 82 games next year. I don't even think yeah. they're both going to get close to 60. So Westbrook is going to have the opportunity to run that team. He's going to be close probably back to his Washington Wizards numbers because the shots are going to be there. The usage is going to be there. He's going to put up great numbers on a great contract. And the biggest thing is that contract is easily movable now. If, for mm-hmm. say, for some reason, Westbrook isn't working out, he can be packaged into a deal now. Now it's not like, oh, we have to package two first-round picks to move Westbrook away from our team. Now he can just be sent elsewhere for different parts. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is you kind of get him now at a bargain price instead of an overpaying thing, and I think that's the biggest thing. You can have somebody who can still be super productive for you, um, either coming off the bench. If you want him to start, you can have that as well, either one. Um, having him for only, I think it was eight million for two years. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. That's it's a, it is a, it is a good move for the Clippers, and that, I'm glad somebody decided not to give him a bit a bajillion dollars. <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't think the CBA would allow that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's in the fine print. Do not give Russell Westbrook a max deal. Don't I know it. They they forgot to put that for Chris Paul. So. <laughs> Nah, his was uh, the pre his was the previous CBA. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess I'm rounding out the top ten. I there are two really that come to mind. This is gonna be the last pick. You got the last pick. Yeah, it really so it's so hard for me because the Sabonis thing is if you weren't a Kings fan and you didn't pay attention to the Kings, I can't really explain to you how impactful Sabonis was for the Kings the entire season. Did he have the greatest postseason? No, he did not. The Warriors... He had a dog water postseason. Yeah. The Warriors found a way to stifle him and stifle him every single game. What made Sabonis great for the Kings was, well, literally everything. He did everything well and everything right for the Kings. So I can't explain enough how big this is for the Sacramento Kings to bring in um to just to well not to bring in but just to keep him in Sacramento. Um they also did sign the EuroLeague MVP. <laughs> yep. Um so that was uh, outstanding. Um you're just giving the Kings some love. I appreciate um, it. Yeah, well, I want to give the Kings some love. So that was that was awesome. I, did I'm we really... talk about the Harrison Barnes pickup? In the last episode, did that happen? No, we did not. We did not. So what are your feelings? Because I feel like his contract's a little bit nicer now. I don't think it was a crazy amount of money. Um, Would it have been nice to slot in a younger uh, forward that could pretty much do the same things that Harrison Barnes is doing? (laughs) Yeah, that would be cool. Um, (laughs) Heck, even get Karis LeVert. I think that would have been cool on this team. I think the Harrison Barnes thing to me was a move that 
they made because they probably felt they weren't going to get anybody else. You know what I mean? Not that they- not that Harrison Barnes is a bad player for the Kings to have by any means, but I'm assuming that they were trying to go after people. They were linked to a couple different players, and they just realized nothing was going to work. So you have you already have somebody in Harrison Barnes you can rely on. So just stick with Harrison Barnes. Yeah. What what's the length of his deal? Did he get a three year deal? I think it was three years. Yeah. Yeah, I would have liked two years because I feel like you can just it'd be easier to change course from. Well, uh, here's the thing: they they have the ability to change course if they want to. Because uh, if if Keegan Murray continues to develop the way he is, I mean, my dude just put up forty in the summer league. Although not like that means anything. Um, he's going for back to back MVPs. Dude, he's yeah, he's absolutely he's put on eight pounds. He's gotten a little bit bigger. He's going uh, into these summer league games just absolutely saying he's going to win them the game. Um, I don't think he appreciates you putting his weight out there like that. Well, he mentioned it in an interview. Um, so that how, he said how, it was, would you, how would you like it if you like your boss one day was like, "Oh yeah, this is Jason. We're really happy with his production. He also gained eight pounds in the last week." Well, it's not in the last <laughs> week, and it would depend on how I gained the weight. And he intentionally put on muscle, so um, yeah, there's a very big difference in, from that isn't standpoint. It, but isn't it, this is just crazy? Like this is going to be a complete another tangent, but heck, it's our podcast, so I can do it. Um, <laughs> the fact that the information about a person's weight is just re- readily available to the public is absolutely insane. <laughs> could you imagine? Could you imagine King and Mary sitting there like? How did they find out that I gained weight? Well, he like, mentioned it in the post game interview. Somebody had asked him. He said, "Hey, you're you're looking a little bit bigger. Like you look you look like you bulked up a little bit." Um, and uh, he said, "Yeah, it was a point of emphasis in the off season. He said I put on about eight pounds." So you remember um, uh, you remember after COVID when Bryson DeChambeau came out and he I mean he looked jacked. There's yeah. no no getting around it. But the reports were out there that he gained like 25 pounds of muscle. And it's like, is that really our business to know how much weight someone's fluctuating? Well, I mean, not really. <laughs> not really. Um, but, you know, with Keegan, Harrison, I mean, he can – Keegan can play the three. Like, he, he's good enough and skilled enough to play the three. So if there comes a point over next season or, or you know, the season after that where – the Kings feel like they can slot Keegan into the three, you know, they have him tied up on their, on their roster and he'd be very easily um, placed in, in that position. I don't think it would throw him or the team off in any way. So I think they have the ability to have a quote unquote backup plan with Keegan in place. Yeah. It's just a lot of money. You tie up into a, a guy that potentially needs a backup plan. Um, I would have liked it if, because what we've seen from Keegan, it looks like he's got some more tools. And that's really the biggest thing because he only had, I'm going to drive straight ahead and maybe settle for a floater or I'm going to shoot a catch and and shoot three. And then, which he was extremely effective. (laughs) Yeah, but once we got to the playoffs, he was super limited. Yeah, and then from time to time, yeah, time to time, he'd break out a move and you were like, oh, damn, Keegs. Well, yeah, the Warriors, the Warriors didn't need to guard him for four out of the seven games because he was giving you less than five points. I know, and then he just goes berserk, and you're like, "Well, where was that? Come on, now. <laughs> we could have used, we could have swept him. 
I know. This in the first <laughs> four games. Um, I know, and that's the sad thing. They could have swept. <laughs> probably. But what we've seen, and granted, summer league. I mean, some of these guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I heard a stat. It's like only seventy-five percent of the players that play in summer league actually end up on NBA rosters. So, by the way, with that in mind, quick before you keep going, uh, Jordan Ford playing for the uh, Sacramento Kings right now. Played against him in high school. Shout yeah, out for to Jordan Folsom. Ford. Yep, shout, Jordan's awesome. Um, so he's good, on the good, good to see league team. Yes. Wow! Imagine if he gets picked up by Stockton. Maybe he gets a two-way contract. He's been on Stockton. How tall is he now? That's where he's been for the past uh, a few seasons, I think. How t- how tall is Jordan Ford? Well, let's find out. Let's find out because you know Ford? since since uh, since weight is so readily available, we'll find out the height <laughs> as well. <laughs> I'm gonna need to know his weight. All right, here we go. Let's see. Height and weight. <laughs> <laughs> he is 6'1", 175. Oh. He's going to need to at least put on 50 pounds of muscle. We're going to need to <laughs> hear about that next year. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so shout out to Jordan Ford. Anyway, Were you on his mixtape? Um, no, I was not. Um, and the only mixtape that I was ever on was on Noah Blackwell's, and it was the lamest highlight ever. Um, it, it was it wasn't it was more of the fact that he had made the shot over me more than um, anything that he did to me. But I he did a little crossover and pulled up, and I was I didn't get I I, I was you know right there with him. But I mean, dude was way taller than me and just hit this nice little fadeaway jumper. So, but that was the only one that I was ever on. Wow. Um, but yeah, so shout out to Jordan Ford, shout out to, to Jordan Ford, hometown hero. Um, anyway, we're, we've gotten way off on our, on our tangent. Well, just okay. to, just to end, right. If Keegan Murray actually is able to do the things that he's doing in the California classic to NBA defenders, like the step backs and the, yeah. like mid range and the, I mean, he just looks completely in control. Yeah, which he should because he was playing in the playoffs last year and he was an all rookie player. So it makes sense that he's dominating summer league. But if he's able to translate that into 15, 16 points a night, I think Harrison Barnes can go. They they could probably trade him and they could just if, slot in Trey Lyles into the starting lineup because I think Trey has, has a better outside shot than Harrison. Trey was so good for the Kings last year. I'm so happy he's back. Um. So for the number 10 spot, I'm not really sure what to do in terms of either putting Sabonis there or lumping in the Tyrese Halliburton-Bruce Brown move for the for the Pacers. Because What do you think? Bruce, that's way too much money for Bruce Brown. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's just way too much. I know there's a championship tax. He was on the, the finals winning team. But, I mean, that is just an exorbitant amount of money for a, a bench guy. Really? Well, here's the thing. I think with um, Indiana, I mean, they're on the cusp of making the playoffs. They were the 11th seed last year. They were only a few games out of the playoffs. And Halliburton got injured. And Halliburton did got did get injured. So the fact that Halliburton um, got signed, he's still there. That's outstanding for them. Uh, I think adding Bruce Brown is a nice addition for the Pacers. I don't know. Um, what it's going to necessarily do for them in terms of moving the needle. Um, but 
you know, so ah, ah, screw it. Sabonis at 10. Sabonis at 10. I, again, I, and that's, I, it is a bit of a homer Sabonis thing, but I can't, but I can't, I can't undersell how big, I mean, out of all of the players we talked about, legitimately, all of the players we talked about on, on uh, our little draft board here, Sabonis had the biggest impact for his team out of anybody we talked about on this list. Anybody. Last season. You agree? I mean, I, I feel like you, you can't argue with that. No, I don't think you can. So, to not have him on here, I, I think, feels a little bit like a, like a crime. You have an all-NBA player in Sabonis who gets re-signed. He was in the MVP conversation for a large majority of the season. He had the biggest impact of anybody on this list um, last season. So, I'll say the Kings re-signing Sabonis at 10, just to round out the top 10. Okay. And that's, our, that's the draft. That is the draft. So, uh, from 1 to 10, we had Wembenyama uh, going to the Spurs. 2, Beal to the Suns. Porzingis to the Celtics at 3. Marcus Smart and, yes, kind of lumping in Derrick Rose as well um, to Memphis. And that was for more reasons than 1. 5, we had Rui, Reeves, and Gabe Vincent to the Lakers. Grant Williams at 6 to the Mavericks. Jordan Poole at 7 to Washington. Chris Paul at eight to the Warriors, really only to talk about it. Um, at nine, um, what do we have at nine? Westbrook. Westbrook, yes. I put RW. I was like, Robert Williams. Why did I put <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I had the Celtics on my mind. Russell Westbrook at nine, and then Sabonis at 10. Those are what we would consider the top 10 biggest moves of the NBA offseason so far. There still is a lot to be decided in the NBA. One in particular, um, Damian Lillard is still on the Blazers. Mm-hmm. And what we know is that there's one team in particular that he is very much intrigued in doing acts and intrigued in going to. I saw a report today yep. saying that his agent is actually calling other teams and telling them not to trade for Damian Lillard because if they do, they'd be trading for an unhappy player. Um, so it's really Miami. And there was also another report this morning that said that before Chris Paul signed with the Warriors, Damian Lillard was actually interested in going to the Warriors. Oh, that um, fair. So that, that was also a report that I saw this morning. But that actually makes more sense because he, he, uh, he grew up in Oakland. Yes. Um, yes, but so. I, what do you think the agent? If I'm Portland, could a guy go from the most beloved figure for your franchise to possibly handling this move the worst? I mean, he wants out. I mean, he gave them ten plus years of trying everything. He yeah, no, I don't think so. I wouldn't hold it against him. If he wants out, he wants out. He gave it a shot. He gave everything he had in Portland. Let him go try somewhere else. But the he just ruined – like his – this report ruins his value. Because if it's just Miami, then they can, they can only negotiate with Miami. And Miami doesn't have to – they don't have to put nearly as much into it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. 
that's fair. I'm gonna see if I can find it real quick. Um, because if I can, if I can read it, um, to you, then that would be great. So buy some time here for a sec. Well, I just Damian Lillard has been probably in all of the major sports seen as the most loyal superstar, even going going with team success. Whatever the team looks like, whatever Portland looks like, Damian Lillard's going to be there. And I'd be curious. I'd love to be a fly on the wall of the meetings between him and the front office of really what was going on because front office is thinking going young, getting scoot. Uh, they have Shin Sharp, Anthony Simons they locked up a short time ago, either last year or the year before. And then you have head scratchy moves like re-signing Jeremy Grant for that big contract. Like that is such a win now move, getting mm-hmm. Jeremy Grant for that deal where it's like, well, was that to appease Dame? Because it seems like he was already gone at that point. And then you they just uh they just re-signed Matisse Thibel. Which right. is like, okay, you're getting pieces and you're spending money. Like why are why are we spending money when really the thing is you're trying to rebuild at this point. So it's just kind of it's kind of head scratching at this point where Portland's kind of caught in two ways if they want to appease Dame. And Dame really kind of seems like the guy that would if he wants to hold out for a year, he probably would do it. Yeah, so here is here's the the report that I saw. So this is from Bleacher Report and it's per Woj. Damian Lillard's agent, Aaron Goodwin, has been calling uh, prospective trade partners and warning against training for Dame. Goodwin has been telling organizations outside of Miami that trading for Lillard is trading for an unhappy player. Nice. So so there you go. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Isn't he kind of a villain now? Don't you kind of think of Dame as a villain? I don't. Which it's just, it's just business. I mean, I'm sure this happens all the time, but the fact that it got out in the public, I'm almost shocked that this is coming from Damian Lillard's camp. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think of him as a villain in any way, shape, or form. And maybe that's just me. But So if, if you're telling me that Denver were to put a package together to get Damian Lillard, why would he not want to go there if it's really about contending? That's a good question. <laughs> or Philly. If they were like, oh, we'll trade you James Harden and a couple second round picks for Damian Lillard. Why would Dame then be like, oh, well, they're not good enough? Like, that's yeah. not good enough to contend. That's a good point. That's a good point. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm going to need you um, to find out, Jason. Well, you know, I can I can try. I'll call him. If you <laughs> I'll want. call a couple people. <laughs> um, I can talk to Dame. I mean, it's been a while since I reached out, but yeah, I don't know what he's gonna give me. You know, but <laughs> <clears throat> well, I mean, I again, I I think I always, I don't know. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt from the standpoint of he, he was in, he was there for so long. He gave everything he had. I understand that maybe it's not the greatest look of all time, but at this point, like if he wants to go somewhere else, then then let him go somewhere else. Like 
if Miami's where he wants to be, then let him try to orchestrate that. It's it's really going to be for me what happens after. Like that that is really what I would what I would base my judgment on because if they can't get a deal done and he doesn't end up going to Miami and he's still in Portland, then really to me then I would start to go okay, well now what is he going to do? Because if he holds out then then I would have a problem with that. And I would say then most people I think are going to look at him maybe as kind of a crybaby or a villain from that standpoint. If he wants to go somewhere right now, I think that's totally fine. But if he doesn't get what he wants, his reaction to that, I think for me more so is going to determine whether or not I would think of him as a villain or, or not. And let's – I want to be clear. I think Portland, just like as you said, Damian Lillard has given – a decade of his career to this organization has been a pinnacle of Portland and that community. And he's been everything. He put Portland, puts Portland on the map, right? I Very mean, much so. Portland, Portland is not a big city, not a one of the smallest markets in the NBA, just tucked away in the Pacific Northwest. And Damian Lillard has given that franchise relevancy. So I think they do owe him but at the same time, he's under contract with this team. So if they don't get a deal done that benefits them, he's nothing stopping them from just going into the season with Damian Lillard. Right. You're 100% right. And like I said, I think at that point, my judgment of him would come into play then to see if he holds out or not. Uh, because if he does, then that's really when, when I would have a problem. Because if you're de- if you're being a detriment to your team in, in that way, then to me, that's when like I sort of lose a little bit of respect for you. <laughs> yeah, he could just pull the James Harden move, just come in completely out of shape. Right, right. And I, I went off on James Harden when we talked about that earlier. And I know you did too. So, um, oh, that was, it was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, that was an interesting, an interesting time in in uh, in James Harden's interesting career, to say the least. That's so, still going on. Yeah. So, all right. Well, we have reached the end of our wonderful time together, um, ladies and gentlemen. If you have stayed to the end of the podcast, we really do appreciate it. We are finally back on our uh, regular schedule. We're going to be filming on Thursdays, releasing on Fridays. So. Because we'll have consistent episodes going forward, so that'll be a lot of fun. Lots of interesting stuff. Um, we're going to be transitioning a little bit soon to back towards the NFL. We haven't talked about the NFL in a long time. So I don't know when we're going to do our way too early season predictions. I can already tell you I think the Raiders are going to win three games, um, and that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, that's it. On uh, to next season. Yeah. Yep. Till yeah. So I'm tr- totally transitioning to uh, waiting for football season to God. I can't wait till I, the Kings start playing again, <laughs> um, which is just so funny. But um, yeah, the NBA is on the horizon. We'll probably uh, at least venture a little bit into baseball. Um, and well, yeah, yeah. I mean, have you seen what Shohei Otani's been doing? <laughs> Gonna win MVP. I mean, he's going to win all of the MVPs for each sports league <laughs> at this point. So, who's, who's a better prospect, Shohei Otani or Victor Wembanyama? 
Who's going to be better in their respective sports? Shohei. Oh, okay. Shohei. Yeah. I think, well, we that would be an interesting debate we can have later. But um, that would be something fun to come back to maybe even in a couple of years if, uh, like, if, if Victor does turn out to be as crazy good as everybody's hoping he is, that would be a fun um, – fun topic of conversation for people to have because they are both incredibly unique. So uh Bull Bull is available. I think I think the Spurs should pick him up. I know that I saw somebody say that that would be the Spurs can do something really funny here if they sign Bull Bull. <laughs> <laughs> just have those two as your guards. Yeah. That'd, that'd be cool. Oh man. That would be interesting. All right. Well, again, if you stuck with us to the end of the episode, we really do appreciate it. We will be back again next week. And uh, enjoy, you know, whatever you're doing until then. See ya. Later.